those of you weirdos that really like this time of the year with the weather, you guys like, have you regretted that yet? Or? Every morning when I wake up and I have to put on shoes because it's too cold for flip-flops, I just get angry. Lacing up my shoes all mad in the morning. So, yeah, I thought of that this morning. So, uh, I'll tell you something fun. I came up here and, and told uh, Emma, who sang that last song, she does such a phenomenal job. She used to work at the Starbucks over by my house, and I was always like that proud dad that would embarrass their daughter, and I'd always walk in, and Emma would be like making drinks, and I'd tell all the baristas that worked at Starbucks, I'm like, you guys know Emma can sing. And they were like, really? Emma can sing? And she's back there not, you know, like shaking her head and making a drink, and she sings in my church. And I would tell everyone, I'm just like that obnoxious dad. And uh, so I'd embarrass her all the time, but she has such a beautiful voice. I love hearing it. And that song is so good. So I'm always a mess at the end of that song. If you're new to the church, we've been working through a very interesting book of the Bible. Uh, we're not quite halfway through. We're, we're pretty close. Uh, a book called Ecclesiastes. It's an Old Testament book. You find it remarkable when you go through a book like this. Whenever you hear Christians say, well, the Old Testament's irrelevant. Really, uh, it's there for a reason. And um, it's actually pretty practical and pretty applicable to our lives, isn't it? This book of the Bible that was written roughly 3,000 years ago, it's amazing when you study Ecclesiastes just how much it sounds like it was written last month, right? Still all the same stuff we struggle with. Whenever I hear Christians say that the Old Testament's irrelevant, whenever you get into the New Testament, when Paul and Jesus would make references to the Scripture, what the heck do you think they were talking about? There was no New Testament. They were referring to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is extremely important. And I love going back and doing books like this because it reminds us just how impactful. And guys, people have never changed. We've always been the same. We've always struggled with the same things and dealt with the same obstacles. And it's kind of interesting to see that. If you haven't been with us, what makes Ecclesiastes so interesting is the author, Solomon. This is a guy who contributed three books to the Bible. This is a guy that had everything. All the things that, that, that people of the world aspire for, Solomon had them all. He was the richest man on earth during his time. He had all the women. He had all the power. He had all the influence. He had every kind of pleasure you can imagine. And at the end of his life, he looked at it and said, it was like I was chasing the wind. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. It didn't amount to contentment. It didn't give me the joy I was looking for. He, he, he found out that it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. So last week, when we were in chapter 4, we talked about some very practical things. We talked about how do we handle hard times, oppression? How do we handle our work? How do we handle our relationships? And then we talked about how do we handle authority, or where do we find authority, or leadership, or our hope, I think is how we actually phrased it last week. Where does our hope come from? This week we're going to talk about anxiety a little bit, right? That probably makes some of you anxious already. But we're going to talk a little bit about anxiety. And I'm not going to pick on that or harp on that or beat everyone over the head because we've all struggled with anxiety on some level. But we're going to ask, where does our anxiety come from? Does it come from the fact that maybe we're pursuing the wrong things? Maybe we've fallen in love with the wrong things. We're either afraid of losing things we have or we're afraid that we're not going to obtain the things that we want. Is that where our anxiety comes from? And we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. So you should have received a notes handout either way you came in. If you didn't, by some chance, uh, everything will be on the screen, so you don't have to worry about it. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, you download that and click on Service Times and Sermon Notes. It has everything. And if you have a Bible, we're right after the book of Proverbs, right before the book of Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. The book of Ecclesiastes, we're in chapter 5, 
and we'll get through it relatively quick today, okay? So it starts off with a bang, so it, it starts off a little intense and then it kind of settles down. So bear with me in this chapter for a minute and it, it, it'll, it'll, it'll chill out. So uh, let me pray, we'll get into this and we'll see what happens, okay? Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Father, we thank you so much. I thank you for this church, God. I love this church. I love, love, love these people. Father, I pray that you bless us this morning, God. Keep your hand on us. We pray, Lord, that you don't only bless our church, we pray that you bless every church in our community, in our city. God, pray that you bless the churches we work with in our country and outside of our country. Pray that you bless the nonprofits that we work with, God. Lord, we thank you for our time together. We pray that as we study your word, God, that it encourages and sharpens us. And we pray that ultimately it brings you pleasure and honor and um, all the attention back on you, God. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all these things. In your son's name, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, chapter 5, here we go. It's going to start off a little, a little hardcore, and again, we'll back down a little bit. Solomon says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak, and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Just as dreams accompany much labor, so also fool's voice comes with many words. When you make a vow to God, don't delay in fulfilling, because he does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. Better that you don't make a vow than make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth bring guilt on you, and do not sit in the presence of the messenger. This was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hands? For many dreams, dreams bring futility, so do many words. Therefore, fear God. I love how he starts off here. He says, guard your steps. Solomon tells us that we are to approach God in obedience Instead of just haphazardly worshiping and offering sacrifices like the fools do. Now, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in the next slide. But what he's basically saying is, God would rather you live for him consistently all the time than show up once a week, throw up your hands, offer the sacrifice of praise, you know, throw some money in the thing and say, I'm a good Christian, right? I'm a good follower of God. I've made this sacrifice. So, it says in the Bible, that we cannot worship God however we please. There is instruction on how we're to worship God. We're to worship Him in spirit, and we're to worship Him in truth. Jesus said that. In the book of 1 Samuel, it says that obedience is better than sacrifice. So instead of just showing up once a week and being like, I'm here, everyone, I'm a good, I'm a good person, God says, no, no, I want you to live like that all the time. I want you to be obedient to me all the time, not just every once in a while give me a sacrifice. Obedience is better than than sacrifice. That's what the Bible says in multiple places, actually. And what this creates is a huge theological problem for a lot of us. This is a big problem in Christianity today, right now in the United States. Because we've become quote-unquote Christians that know absolutely nothing about the Bible, we have religious sincerity, but no truth. And I'll tell you what, that's extremely dangerous. We can be very sincerely into things that are wrong. And even if we're doing it out of ignorance, that's not an excuse. Because we have the instruction manual right in front of us. Amen. So we can sincerely be wrong. 
So what happens is without the Bible, which quite frankly, I'm 40 years old, and most people my age and younger don't really care about the Bible. We follow our feelings more than we follow truth. But without the Bible, without prayer, without the accountability of the church, Christians, in quotations, resort to spiritless prayers, typically about themselves, and worship without a relationship with God. And both of those are completely fruitless. Completely, completely fruitless. All we do is pray about ourselves and all we do is worship God in the moment because we have these feelings that arise. Imagine if you only stayed married when you felt like it. Right? All of us would end up in divorce multiple times, right? Because we're following our emotions. And so God says, don't be so hasty when you speak. This is one of those passages that is worth highlighting or underlining or circling or putting a star beside. Solomon simply says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. What does that mean? It means that God's not like you. I know we have attributes of God. I know that we're made in the image of God, but he is vastly different from us. So as Christians, when we're so arrogant to think that God is like us and rationalize things we do because we think God would do it like us, he's not like us. He's not our bro. He's not our homeboy. He's not our boy. He's not our, you know, like, papa daddy. He's, he's God. And he sits on a throne and he spoke everything into existence and he can speak everything out of existence. So when we rush to approach God without using our brain and using some reverence and humility, that can have some disastrous consequences. What do you mean, Corey? Numbers chapter 11 is a perfect example. All the, the, the Jewish people are coming out of Egypt, right? God has miraculously delivered them from Egypt, split the Red Sea, walking through all the Egyptian armies, drowning the Red Sea. They go, they're working their way through the Sinai Peninsula on their way to what is modern-day Israel. When they're hungry, God sends a manna from heaven, right? Food drops from heaven so they can eat. And what do the Jewish people do? What do the children of God do? God, we're sick of being vegetarians. Can you drop us some meat? Can you give us some quail, right? Can you give us something to eat? And God says, okay, you entitled people, I sure will. Starts dropping dead birds all over them. When you start seeing Numbers 11 that they're eating this rotting flesh from these dead birds, it says that they're getting sick and they're actually vomiting. It's coming out of their nostrils. It's very grotesque. But what the moral of the story is, we need to think a little bit before we just start yelling and screaming and petitioning God. A wise person chooses their words carefully, and they understand their audience. And our, 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 our audience is the creator God, the one that created us, spoke us into existence. We need to remember that. Now, just because we're to choose our words carefully doesn't prohibit us from, from saying long prayers, right? It's okay to pray long prayers, even though we should choose our words wisely. It also doesn't mean that repetition is altogether bad. Listen, I can hear my children tell me they love me a thousand times as long as they're sincere about it. There's nothing wrong with repetition as long as it's sincere, as long as it's biblical when we talk to God. The best model with prayer is this, and we usually invert this and then forget everything outside of ourselves. But the best model for prayer is to first thank Him, right? God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for everything you've given me. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my health, God. Thank you for just the, the, the nation that I live in where I can worship you freely. And thank you, God, for all these things. We need to repent for our sin. We need to deal with our sin. And if you can't think of anything immediately that you've done wrong, God, search my heart. And if I've done anything wrong, please forgive me of that. We need to pray for other people. And then the last thing we need to pray for is ourselves. 
is the first thing we typically pray for is ourselves. And we really don't get to anything else because, quite frankly, we're selfish. And that's not the way the Bible tells us to pray. It's not effective prayer. And so there are times when we just pray for ourselves, but that's an anomaly. It should not be the norm. Another thing Solomon says is when you say you're going to do something, do it. God is happy with people who keep their promises because he is a God that keeps his. He is the original promise keeper. Now, that doesn't mean that when we make vows or promises and break them that we can't be forgiven. I think Peter is the perfect example of that, right? When Jesus is standing there and he said, hey, they're about to arrest me. And Peter goes, we're never going to let you down. We're always going to be next to you, Jesus. First thing that happens, Peter not only splits, he denies his Savior three times in one night, right? We find out, though, that Peter is restored. Not only forgiven, but he's made the leader of the Christian movement. He is restored. But just because we can be restored, we should still be very careful to not make promises that we can't keep. Proverbs 20, 25 says this. It's a trap for anyone to dedicate rashly and later reconsider their vows. I can do it. 15 minutes later, I can't do it. You just look like an idiot, right? When you're at work, they say, hey, who can handle this project? I got it. And then you just let everyone down. The Bible is saying don't just rashly dedicate yourself to everything. Every time someone walks up to you, hey, can you pray for this? If you don't intend to pray for it, just say, hey, I'll do my best to remember to pray for that. When people come up to me, because it happens literally all the time, at the grocery store, everywhere, at the gym, wherever, hey, can you pray for me? If you send me an email, I give you my word, I'll pray for you. But if not, I'm just going to forget. So we just have to be honest. We have to choose our words wisely, because when we make promises and we don't keep them, not only hurts our reputation, it hurts the reputation of the God that we follow. So Solomon says, therefore fear God. I think we forget that our words have tremendous power, and when our tongue is not under the control of Jesus Christ, we can say things that are going to damage ourselves, damage others, damage generations to come. When we were kids and people said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, that's the biggest lie you'll ever hear. Words can do extremely damaging things. And Solomon says that when we use careless words, it's going to make God angry, and he's not going to let the works of our hand flourish. He, he's actually going to destroy the works of our hands in hopes of getting our attention. So Solomon says our dreams and our words, apart from God, are pointless. They're futile. So first and foremost, we need to respect God. We need to revere God. We need to fear God. We need to have a relationship with God, okay? All right, next part. If you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation. Because one official protects another official, and higher officials protect them. The profit from the land is taken by all, and the king is served by the field. Look, even politics haven't changed, right? So injustice shouldn't shock us. We should be bothered by the evil that happens on planet Earth, but we shouldn't be surprised by it. Here's our problem. We think way too much about humanity. We give ourselves way too much credit. What do you mean by that, Corey? We often say, look inside yourself. Hey, you can make it. Just look inside yourself. Hey, if you look inside Corey Trimble apart from God's grace, there's a lot of darkness in this heart. If you look inside any one of you in this room, apart from the goodness of God, if you tell people to look inside yourself, you're only going to find things that you don't want to see. 
There's nothing good in us apart from God. The Bible says that. Whenever people say, well, just follow your heart. It's the worst advice you can possibly give someone. Hey, man, just follow your heart. That's going to lead you into an affair. It's going to lead you into lying on your taxes. It's going to lead you into debt that is so insurmountable that you'll never be able to pay it off. It's going to lead you into a lot of very stupid choices when you follow your heart. Why? Because the book of Jeremiah says the heart is the most deceptive part of your body. We're not to follow our heart. Whenever we're watching Disney movies, my family, and the, you know, there's always a song somewhere in it that says, follow your heart. And I lean over to my girls, and I'm like, you know not to do that. And I'm like, we know, Dad. Right? So you don't follow your heart. You follow the Holy Spirit that should be in your heart. That's what you follow. But we often say, look inside of ourselves. But we need to remember, there's no goodness inside of Corey Trimble apart from Jesus Christ. There's no goodness in you apart from Jesus Christ. Everything that is good comes from him. Everything. We also often hear when there is perversion in the world, when there is injustice, we say, well, God, why do bad things happen to good people? It's not because God is the author of evil. We are the authors of evil. We are the ones that do horrible things. And God didn't create a bunch of mindless robots. We don't want that. We want choice. We, even we say it. We, we, so, society is so hypocritical. We say we constantly want choice. And when our poor choices don't go the way we think we should, it's now God's fault. It's not our fault. It's God's fault that I made that choice. And that's not the case. We've been given free will. And unfortunately, so many people don't wield free will very well. They make poor decisions that hurt themselves and hurt others. And that's not God's fault. The beauty is this, though. If we have a relationship with God, even though people make poor choices, even though we make poor choices sometimes, we can find forgiveness and we can find rest in the fact that God is good, even if we don't understand every situation. Amen. We also need to remember that this world is not forever. All of this will go away. Every time I get up on the stage, it's written right over here on this wall. There will be no tears, no fear, no night. Everything will be perfect one day if we believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Everything will be okay. And we have to remember that. But what it boils down to is this. We don't trust God as much as we say we trust God. And we often try to use human reasoning to figure out an, an incomprehensible God. Again, he's beyond us. To criticize God's motives, to criticize God's ability is the height of of arrogance. It's like what Paul, when he writes about this in, in Romans, he says it's like when the artist is working with clay and the clay looks up and says, how dare you make me like this? And the potter's like, I dare because I'm the artist, right? I'm the potter. I'm going to make you however I want to make you. How dare we look at the God and say, why did you make me like this? Why did you do this to me? Now listen, here's the thing. That doesn't mean that God is upset when we ask questions. We can ask God questions. But it's our heart when we ask those questions that is the, the game changer. Amen. If I shake my fist at God and say, why are you doing this? You don't know what you're doing. That's different than me saying, God, I don't understand this. Can you help me? Help me understand. And here's where we need to be. We need to be teachable. So if I feel things and it doesn't line up with this, we need to be able to say, God, I don't feel it, but I know what your word says. I'm going to follow this and trust you. We do that. And then we also have to be able to say, God, there are some things that are just going to be a mystery. I'm not going to understand, and I'm going to trust you through that too. I don't know how it's all going to work, but God, you love me. I 
Next part. The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver, and the one who loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. When good things increase, the one who consumes them multiply. And then what? Is the profit to the owner except to gaze at them with his own eyes? The sleep of the worker is sweet when he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. There is a sickening tragedy I have seen under the sun. Wealth kept by its owner to his harm. That wealth was lost in a bad venture. So when he fathered a son, he was empty-handed. As he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again. Naked as he came, he will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. This too is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes, so will he go. What does the one gain who struggles for the wind? What is more, he eats in darkness all of his days with much frustration, sickness, and anger. So here's one of these places where we misinterpret the Bible and we misquote the Bible. Whenever I hear people say, well, the Bible says money is the root of all evil, that's not what it says. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. The danger in loving money, not money, money is paper that we exchange for goods and services. Nothing evil about that. What's evil is what we do with money and that we idolize money and we put our trust and hope in money. It's like anything apart from God. Anything apart from God never satisfies the seeker. Solomon says that people who love money, when they get more, you would think they'd be satisfied, but they just want more, right? We often say, if, if I just had a million dollars, I'd be happy. You wouldn't. You would get the million dollars, you'd probably blow the million dollars, and then you just want more, right? It's never enough. But some people, we love to pick on rich people, don't we? I don't know what that feels like, but we, we, we love to pick on people who have a lot of wealth. And we say, well, Jesus said, give all your money away. Jesus told us to give our money away. And Jesus did not tell us to give all of our money away. He told one young man to give all his money away. But it actually had nothing to do with money. What it was is this rich young ruler, it's mentioned in the book of Luke, walked up to Jesus and he said, hey, Jesus, I've kept all the Ten Commandments. I've done everything you've told me to do, which wasn't true, by the way. I've done everything you've told me to do. I want to follow you. Jesus knew the young man's heart and knew that this man found his hope in money. And so Jesus looked at him and said, get rid of all your money and then you can follow me. If you go back and read Luke chapter 18, it says the man was really saddened by that because he had a lot of money. So he walked away. The point of that is not money. All of us in this room will have the temptation to find our hope in something other than Jesus. So it may not be money, but Jesus is going to approach everyone who seeks the truth and says, hey, you need to lay X down to follow me. All of us have that. But here's what we love to do. We love to point out other people's sin. We love to point at people and say, look at what they're doing wrong. I'm going to say something that you're not going to like today, but it's true. We love as Christians to say, look at those gay people. Look how evil they are. Look how bad they are. We have 95% of all Christians lose their virginity before they're married, which I don't know if you know this, is a sin. So we have 95% of Christianity that's committing this sin, right, or at least has, but we look at this 1% of society and we say, look how evil they are. Now listen, I'm not giving a pass on same-sex relationships. That's not what I'm doing. I know where the Bible stands on that. But see, what we love to do is if we'll get everyone to look at that sinful group of people, they're not looking at my sin, 
So look how sinful they are. I have a stack of playboys in my house. I'm addicted to porn, but look at those queers, right? Look at all the horrible stuff they're doing. You know, Jesus actually talked about this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, hey, before you start picking splinters out of everyone else's eye, why don't you address that piece of log that's in yours? Amen. Right? Why don't you deal with it? Listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't address sin. But I'm saying that we need to focus on our sin first. We've been dropping the ball on sexual sin for about 40 years now in this country. Long before same-sex marriage was legal, we were living in tons of sexual sin, even in the church. But hey, it's a lot easier to look at someone else than to look at our own hearts. When it comes to money, though, it's not an issue of having money or not having money. It's an issue of what we do when we do have it. The problem with money for most of us is we don't know how to properly use it. The Bible tells us that when we have money, we're to, we're to live open-handed with that money. That we're to give money for the advancement of the gospel. We're to take care of our families. The Bible says when we don't use our money to take care of our families, we're worse than non-believers. We're to help other people as we have opportunity. And the way that we can do that is we have to understand that everything that we have is because God has allowed us to have it. Amen. When we look at our money and we don't say that it's our money, but it's God's money that we get to steward... We're a little bit more open-handed with that money. We're more willing to give that to people that need it. We're more willing to help nonprofits. We're, we're more willing to give to the church or whatever the case may be. When we understand that everything we have is because God has allowed us to have it. Amen. A little notorious B.I.G. reference there for you older hip-hop people. <laughs> if we don't understand that, that all blessings come from Him, what happens is, is we live in anxiety. We're in this constant fear of not having enough, or we're in this constant fear of losing what we already have. And Solomon says the sleep of the worker is sweet. The one who does what they're supposed to do, they, they go to sleep at night. But the abundance of the rich permits them no sleep because they're constantly worried about what they don't have or losing what they do have. So when money is our hope, we, leave, we live in this fear of either not having enough or losing what we have. That is why hope was, must be found in something greater than material gain. It must be found in something greater than material gain. Also, money does not give us life. I love this, and we use this a lot, not knowing that it came from Solomon. We often say that we came into this world with nothing, and we leave this world with nothing. Solomon said that. Now, the ultra-wealthy have been trying, ever since the Egyptians did mummification, the ultra-wealthy have been trying to beat death and no one has ever done it, right? We used to wrap bodies and put them in tombs, and now we do cryogenics, and we do all these different things to try to cheat death. But God has already told us how to cheat death. Jesus Christ said, if you'll just lose your life to me, you'll find eternal life. Amen. You'll find it for forever. But isn't it insane that people are still trying to live forever in this life? It has never worked, nor will it ever work, but we keep on trying. Here is what I've seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labor that one does under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him, because that is his reward. Furthermore, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also allowed him to enjoy them, take his reward, and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift from God. For he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. If you want to get to what is the thesis 
of the book of Ecclesiastes is essentially this. A relationship with God is the linchpin to everything. Everything. It is having that relationship with God. Listen, look at what he says. We can enjoy our food. We can enjoy drinking. We can enjoy working. We can enjoy playing. We can enjoy leisure activity. Joy can be in all those things if we will just recognize that God is the source of our hope. God is our salvation. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying temporary things. He says it. Listen, if you work hard and you acquire some nice things in this, this life, that's okay. As long as God is at the top of your priority list, as long as those things are not your idols, as long as you love God, treat your family well, treat others well, you can have a nice car. You can go on nice vacations. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know what most of us do, though, when we read those scriptures about the wealthy? We instantly say, well, that's not me. I would love to take all of you to Kakira, Uganda. We, all of us in this room, we live in a nation where even homeless people have cell phones. That's true. We live in a nation where it's virtually impossible to starve to death in our nation. We live in a nation with 3.5% unemployment. And the 3.5% is mostly because some of them don't want to work. We have so much wealth, and it is a paradise where we live. So guys, when we like look at the 1% and say they're so evil, we're the 1% when, we, when it comes to a global economy. We're way up at the top of the food chain. We live in paradise. When you go to Kikiri, Uganda, and you have a bottle of water, right? And you get done drinking it. I remember the first time I was there, I was talking with a young man named uh, Amos. I see him every time I go. First time I drank a bottle of water, and I'm like, hey, what do I do with this? And he takes it, and he just throws it behind him. That's what you do with trash there. But you know what happens? Some mother will walk by and grab this water bottle, throw a couple of pebbles in there, and that becomes a shaker toy for her baby. That's it. That's what they play with. Right? They make soccer balls out of trash that they string together with different stuff. And you'll see these kids who don't have hardly any clothes on at all going down the streets playing soccer with these pieces of trash that are in the shape of a ball. And then you come back here. I remember the first time I went to Uganda, I came back and I could barely breathe like the fifth day I was there. Because there's so much smoke and pollutants in the air and the water is, you can't drink any of the water. Everything is so disgusting. And I came back and my, my chest was hurting. You come back to the United States and it feels like you just stepped into heaven. This is wonderful. And we take it for granted. We can enjoy the temporary things in this life, but we're to long for the eternal things of this life. There's nothing wrong with all the blessings we have, but we often forget them. We must also balance realism and hope. Even if we have a great relationship with Jesus, life is still hard. Jesus said this. He goes, in this life, there's going to be suffering. Even when we have this, this perfect relationship with God, we can remember, right, that in those times, when times get hard, we can lean on him. And when times are hard, God is still good. We're going to have suffering. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. That means that, that bad things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. But in all that, Jesus also promised us at the end of the book of Matthew that he's going to be with us. He said, I'm going to be with you in spirit, and eventually I'm going to come back and I'm going to be with you in person. But you're not alone. It's going to be hard, it's going to be tough, but I'm with you. I'm walking this road with you. And the Christian, the real Christian, does not get wrapped up in the things of this world. We don't let the things of this world steal our relationship or our contentment with God. 
And Solomon isn't saying that you shouldn't care about how you live or that you shouldn't work hard or that you shouldn't plan. That's not what he's saying. But Solomon is saying that the believer in God is not preoccupied with their mortality. What does that mean? It means, look, if you look at the very end of this chapter, it says that they rejoiced his labor, this is a gift from God, for he does not consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. It's not, the, the, the Christian is not preoccupied with what they have or don't have. They're occupied with their relationship with God. That means the Christian doesn't have a midlife crisis. I just turned 40. Prime sweet spot for a midlife crisis. That just happened to me, right? Last month, became 40 years old. I didn't have a midlife crisis. I, you know, you, you think about it. I'm 40. Everyone starts giving me black stuff and canes and, you know, 40, right? Like everyone gives you that stuff. One foot in the grave, all that. But it hit me. I feel okay. Married to a wonderful woman. I have beautiful kids. I have a roof over my head, a car to drive. Why in the world would I have a crisis? My life is great. The Christian should not be in debilitating fear of aging or death. Do you know what death means to the Christian? We wake up in paradise. We shouldn't be afraid of that. We're to be occupied with the joy of our hearts. That's a relationship with God. And then we know that this life is temporary and that the next life is going to be absolutely perfect. Well, Corey, I'm getting old. Awesome. You are one step closer to knowing Jesus Christ face to face. That's how it should be in our lives. We shouldn't be afraid of age. We shouldn't be afraid of death. There shouldn't be a midlife crisis. We know that this world is not everything. There's a better place, a perfect place to come. The problem is this, though. We don't see God in the day-to-day. -day. We don't see God in the little things. Do we take the time to intentionally remember the provisions of God? Do you really think about the food you eat? Seriously, I'm being serious for a second. When you sit down to eat, when you go to lunch tomorrow at work and you sit in a nice air-conditioned building and you sit and you eat a hot meal. You don't have to worry about getting sick. You don't have to worry about there being bugs in it. You don't have to worry about whose hands touched it. You know that this restaurant got a 99 on their health inspection. All these things. You're going to get a hot meal that is nutritious for your body. You ever sit down and say, thank God, because there's a large portion of people on planet Earth that don't get this. Guys, do you know why most of the elementary schools in this town are free and reduced lunch? Because a lot of kids in your city don't get it. If it weren't for the public schools, a lot of the kids in your city wouldn't have breakfast and lunch. Do you know that's why a bunch of schools in your city give free breakfast and lunch even during the summer? Because kids aren't eating. Do you know that? When's the last time you looked at your food and said, thank God for this? Thank God. When's the last time you thought about the water you provision of God. Do you know 12% of Uganda dies from diarrhea because of unclean water? 12%. 12 out of every 100 children will die of diarrhea. If you get diarrhea here because you're, you know, like Dave Ashworth and eat a Taco Bell all the time, right? If that happens to you here, we don't know how Dave's still alive, guys. He lives on Mountain Dew and Taco Bell. But here in the United States, Man, if you get diarrhea, you just go to Walgreens, take some medication, and you're fine. If you get diarrhea and you're done, you're dead. 
When's the last time you looked at a bottle of clean water and said, wow, I'm so thankful for that. Do you know how they get water in Uganda? They have gutter systems on their house, if they have a house. And when it rains, the rain goes down the gutter into a big basin that has a spout at the bottom, and that's what you drink. Go home and, and drink water off your gutters today. Right? So when's the last time you looked at your friends? When's the last time you looked at your family and said, thank God I have people around me? Corey, I don't have a lot of friends. If you have two or three, that's, that's what Jesus said. He didn't have a ton. Every time he'd talk, everyone would split, right? They'd leave him. When he was on the cross, there was only one of his friends there, John. When's the last time you looked at your friends and said, I'm really glad I have friends. I'm really glad I have family. Or, guys, do we miss the things of God because we think that God owes us? We are an entitled people. And when we're entitled, it's very hard to see God because we think we have earned everything. We have a hard time going to sleep at night. We get anxious. We have a hard time seeing all the wonderful things around us because all we can constantly think about is what we don't have. I don't have this. I don't have that. We've become an entitled people. Is it because we're in love with the wrong things? Have we fallen in love with things that will not bring us satisfaction? If it's always a longing for the best car, there's always a better car next year. If it's a longing for money, there's always someone else that's going to make more than you. If it's a longing for sex, one day we're going to get old and not be as attractive as we used to be. If it's a longing for partying, if it's a longing for whatever it is, it doesn't satisfy. And so even the good things in life, are we a people that can enjoy the good things in life without making them idols? Can we enjoy our wealth? Can we enjoy our nice home or nice car or whatever the case may be without making it our identity? We live in a culture now that because we have such a disconnect with God, we find our identity in absolutely everything. I'm white. I'm Democrat. Christian, I'm, I'm all, we find our identity in everything. It's okay to find our identity in Christianity. But we find our identity in everything because we have such a disconnect from God. We idolize everything. We idolize gender and skin color and nationalism. And we idolize wealth and occupation. And Paul even said to us, guys, when you become a Christian, there's no Jew or Greek. There's no rich or poor. There's no man or woman. We're all one under Christ Jesus. That's where our identity comes from. But most of us find ourselves being anxious because we're so in love with this life, we're not thinking about the next life. If you're a Christian in this room, when is the last time you found yourself anticipating the return of Jesus Christ? Have you ever anticipated the return of Jesus Christ? John wrote in his gospel, he says, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly. As Christians, we shouldn't be afraid of death. We shouldn't be afraid of Jesus' his, his return. But the problem is that so many of us are preoccupied trying to achieve more blank in this life. We're not thinking that we want to be with God because a lot of us, listen, listen, a lot of us believe that this world is so good, we don't, we don't even long for him to come back. And that's not the heart of a Christian. The heart of a Christian is to want to be with their heavenly father. So how do we learn to see God? It's hard to see God when we're always looking at ourselves. 
It's hard to see God working in your life when it's always about you. I'd say it's impossible to see God if it's always about you. So guys, what we need to do is pray. Corey, you tell us that all the time. Because it's the most important thing you'll do. It's the most important thing you'll do. And when you pray, your prayers are not to be centered around you. You can be a part of that prayer, but you should be the last thing in that prayer. Your prayer should start off with God. God, thank you. Thank you for everything you've done for me. Let me tell you what I'm doing right now, guys. I'm going to tell you what Corey's doing in his personal life. Because I went through a couple of months where I felt like I was pretty dry spiritually. And I found myself praying more for myself than anyone else. And that's a problem. So what I started doing now is every morning when I go into my office, I don't sit at my desk. I sit in my little love seat. I sit there and I have my Bible and I start off and I say this. I literally say this out loud to myself every single day in my office. I say, Lord, this is the day that you've made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad. Psalm 118. Right? And what I have to do every single day is I have to choose to be humble. I have to choose to make him my focus. I have to choose to thank him for the things in my life, to address the sin in my heart, to pray for the people I love and for some that I don't love, that I need to love. And I pray for those people in my life. And I choose to be humble and put myself last. And do you know what Jesus says when we do that? When we lose our life, we find it. When we sit at the end of the table, Jesus invites us to the front of the table. That if we will be humble, and if we will choose, and if we will intentionally pause, if we will intentionally stop and say, today... I'm going to acknowledge that this is God's day that he's given me, and I'm going to choose to have joy in this day. It may be a hard day, it may be a frustrating day, but at the end of it, I'm going to say, thank God that I was alive today. Hey, listen, I'm going to get all pastoring on you here for a second. If you are in this room this morning and you are not a Christian, you're not a follower of God, here's where I'm going to freak you out. You are here today. Because God Almighty, even if it's a God you don't believe in, has ordered your steps to end up to be in this room this morning. Hold on, Christians. If there's still breath in your lungs and blood in your veins, God has a mission for you. It's His day. He's made it, but He has allowed you to be alive in it today. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. But if we're going to see all the stuff that God is doing around us, we have to choose to stop and look and choose to have this relationship with him and choose to see him in our day-to-day. -day. We have to choose to be occupied with the joy of his heart. Right? We have to choose that. If we don't, we're going to get preoccupied with a bunch of crap. And we're going to miss it. Would you buy your husband? If you are in this room, and I don't want you to be embarrassed or feel intimidated by this, you have no reason to, I, I, I promise you. If you're in this room and you are not a believer, and maybe you found yourself here this morning and you're like, Corey, I don't know how I ended up here, but I'm here. If you have any questions, up here to my right, your left, at the front of the stage, is Greg. Greg's our executive pastor. Um, he's up here in kind of a light blue t-shirt. If you have any questions for us, 
you know, guys, we don't know everything, but we can maybe at least put you on the right track, get a cup of coffee with you, talk with you for a minute. If you have any questions, come up here and talk with Rick. He'd love to talk with you. If you need prayer for anything, listen. We talked a little bit about anxiety today, just a little bit. If you have found yourself in this room getting anxious, anxiety is a trigger to pray. The Bible says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and anxiety, but he's given us a spirit of power. And then when we are anxious, we need to pray. The Bible says that. If you are in this room and you have been anxious, that doesn't mean you're an evil person. It doesn't mean you're, you're, you're awful. It means that all of us get anxious. All of us have life that interrupts life. If you have found yourself in anxiety or fear, I would encourage you to come up here at the front and find someone to pray with you. Where any two or more gathered in his name, God's right in the middle of it. Let someone pray for your fear, your anxiety. If that's something you, you, you would like to have prayer for, you can, you can get prayer for anything, though, up here at the front, anything that, that you need prayer for. The last thing is there's communion all the way around this room. Everyone is welcome to take the body and blood of Jesus Christ, as long as you've asked God to forgive you of your sins. But let me ask you here today, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are still closed. When we worry, when we fear, when we're preoccupied with all the distractions of this life, have we taken the time to intentionally pause and stop and say, God, I want to put you first. God, I need to talk to you. Have we done that? And if you haven't, I encourage you to do that this morning. Lord, we love you. God, I thank this church. I thank you, God, for this church so much. I, I, I love this congregation. I love their vulnerability and their honesty, God. And, and Father, I pray that you keep your hand on us. Lord, all of us in this room have been anxious. All of us in this room have, have had fear. All of us in this room have struggled to, to be quiet and pause and focus on you. All of us, God, have been selfish with our prayers. And I pray for that and forgive us. And I pray that you help us. Lord, if anyone in this room needs help from you today, God, I pray that just let, let us humble ourselves and approach you, God, knowing that you're God in heaven and we're just mankind on earth. You know what's right. You know what's good. Father, bless my brothers and sisters. Give them strength, Lord. Keep them strong till we meet again, Lord. We pray all these things in your son's name. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.